we're, we're going to get to that in a moment. <laughs> we have a name for that in Aussie culture apart from legend, but... Good morning, welcome this morning. We're going to be talking about six courageous decisions that will change your life if you affirmatively kind of respond to them. Um, but, but before I do, I just want to list for you three three things as we're getting over James being a legend for a moment. The first thing is that um, Lindy Yates has been involved in uh, running a... a Running uh, at Eastland two weeks ago, uh, a documentary that was put together and she gathered around 120 people to fill that cinema and uh, talk about time to draw the line, that is seeking justice for the Timorese people. And there's an outworking of that because all over Australia on that particular night and that week, there were people who are advocates for Timorese um, in the oil and petitioning government to say this is an important thing, we actually uh, want to see good come from this um, in equity. And so that was happening all over in Australia. And uh, Lindy's going to be in the foyer today um, just to gain anyone's signature that says, yeah, look, I agree, this is a good thing. We want to keep on that conversation happening with our government. Um, so you can do that. Thanks for Lindy for what you're doing. I know you're in here somewhere. Um, and if you keep that up, you can sort of talk to Lindy on the way out this morning. The second thing I want to talk about is to do with this courageous engage. And we've been talking about it. So Beck, we've had the movie clip this morning about having a luncheon or, a, or a, some breakfast or just with neighbours. That's an option. Or what Susan was talking about here with our hands, baking cookies. Um, well, Harvey and I are going to do one, and this is what we're going to do. Um, we recognise that the whole vicinity of this um, area of Ringwood has changed so much over the last 15 years that we've decided to do something we just love doing. We're going to actually go door knocking um, in, in a few weeks' time, and I know some of you would prefer to have your eyes pulled out than actually go door knocking, right? That's me too. Um, but we recognise that this area is has changed so much and uh, you're such a good mob that I don't want to keep you all to myself. I want to tell other people about you and uh, I don't want to keep Jesus all to myself. So what we're going to do is um, on the Engage Sunday, so in three Sundays time after this one, we're going to do some training and uh, then we're going to walk around the streets, uh, be designated and hand out flies and letterboxes to say uh, this is who we are and we're going to come back the week after and hand out hot cross buns for Easter and invite people to join us for any of our Easter activities, yeah? And uh, if they'd like prayer, we can pray for them. And so what we're looking for is 30 to 40 people who would not prefer to have their eyes plucked out (laughs) and and come and join us. We're going to do the training on the Engage Sunday, then walk out in the streets. We're going to pray over that area and then come back the week later and come and hand out hot cross buns. Now, you can't do the second one if you haven't done the first, but you can come and do the first one if you can't make the second, if that makes sense, all right? So we're going to do that because I don't want to keep Jesus all to ourselves, particularly at Easter time. Now, the third thing I want to talk about is that if you have, and just around you, you've got a, a little envelope like this you might be sitting on. Grab it for a second. If you're a visitor here today, block your ears right now. This does not apply to you. So la, 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 this not apply to you. So uh, at least come on up here and bring your little toys because the, as if you look to your right-hand side, you'll see that there's a demolition tape over there. And if you're in the, the room next door, we want to welcome you as well and uh, invite you to be part of um, this conversation too, is that what we named last week is that um, the council here has given us an opportunity for growth over the next nine years we've signed a lease and they've allowed us to actually be part of raising funds to pull down this wall so we can have a, a larger space. And so that's what this wall fund is all about. And this is why Elise is here, because Elise, I saw you and Rob sitting together last week right there. Is that true? It is, it is true. It's very true. So why were you sitting there? Because it's the first time, I think, in about five years where we could get all of our kids 
into another space. We've had our last, our fourth child has been a creche refuser and finally she's gone into the kinder room. So after five years, I see the two of you, you and your husband, sitting next to each other. Yeah. What, the, what was that like? It was quiet. Really? <laughs> Because uh, the room next door is an overflow room as well as a family room. If, mm. if the adults are getting a bit too noisy, we put them yes. in next door. And they're not going to lose that. That's going to be relocated up into the foyer. But it means that we're going to have more space for the overflow. But it's a kind of a congested kind of room at time. Um, so what does this, this object that you've brought up represent to you? So, yes, and having kids, you know, we often find we're not always super prompt to church. And often this room is full and we naturally end up in the overflow room. So this, I guess... This toy represents what I've heard at church for five years. I'll just do a demo. Oh, okay. All right. I won't do this one. I've heard this for five years. It's very good. No matter how close I get to the screen, it doesn't change this toy. Now, I just want you to know, if you donated this toy to NCR, there is no bad adverse effect on you, okay? We are not criticising you at all. It's just that you have loved this toy for five years. Mm. And so we've had this idea, or you've had this idea, that a part of your contribution to the wall come down is going to be to do with this toy. So what's the challenge? Because this toy, I'm hoping it's had nine lives. I'm hoping now it's entering its tenth and the final... I've hidden this toy so many times in that room and it just keeps... Re- Didn't know that. It just keeps coming back every week. Yeah. So what we're proposing to do is I'm going to start a bidding war and I'm going to open the bidding with $50 and hopefully you're all going to get in on it because I know I'm not the only person wincing every time this baby comes out. Yep. And we're hoping that the winner of this bid, you can back over this. And crush this. It's it's over. It's had its nine lives and it's over. We're never going to hear from this again. So as part of your wall fund, you're hoping to... Are you going to win this bid? Are you going to... Well, we'll see how we go. Okay. Oh, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We were going to put this on the Facebook, right? But it started here already. Yes, we can. All right, so can you up 100? I reckon we can up 100. Yeah, no, 200. All right, okay. Done. <laughs> two. All right, so far this is 200. So, it's 200. so yeah, we won't do that here right now because we're, but over this the next, will, so yeah. we're hoping to raise the $50,000 for the, for this and the, the, some of the sound, uh, fitting out, um, by the end of this month. And so yes. the idea is if you would like to make a contribution to the wall come down, bring this with you on a Sunday, place it in the letter boxes or come and just stick it on the wall and we're going to cover this with sort of bricks. So these are bricks uh, and then we're going to pull them down and we might even have sledgehammers on the regroup on the 26th. We won't. Um, but hopefully by the 26th we'll be able to celebrate together that as well. I'm going to look with interest on Facebook to see yes, what do. this little baby comes to and then we're going to videotape the backing over in the car and uh, we can show you all as well. <laughs> we'll put your hands together for Elise. Well done. Good. Oh, magnificent, magnificent. We can have a little bit of fun this morning. Six decisions that will change your life. The definition of courage. Courage is not always the decision of a moment, but the determination of a lifetime. I want to unpack that a little bit more this morning as we're talking about this whole idea of what do we do with our bodies. There's a theologian, philosopher, thinker. His name's Richard Foster, and he said these words, Our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctor 
doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people and I believe courageous people as well. You see, this series we're looking at is really building the idea of being courageous in 2017. If you want to follow Jesus, what does that practically look like? Well, it means that we need to answer the question, what do you do with God? I'd say, follow him. What do you do with worry? Cast it on him. What do you do with noise? Beck was talking. Retreat to him. What do you do with stuff? Use it for him. And this week, what do I want to do with my body? Is God interested in my body? And if you hear nothing else I'm going to say this morning, nothing else, hear this. What do I do with my body? Offer it to him to do his bidding for good in this world. You see, more than anything else this morning, what I'd like us to do is encounter Jesus right here, right now, in this place. The greatest thing you can do is encounter Jesus. He's not far away. He's close. He's proximal. He's not beyond your reach. And he's interested in our bodies. So I'm going to pause right now and pray that this morning we might encounter the living God here in this place. So God, where you are in your space, your realm, not very far away, just here and close, I ask that you might meet with us. For those who are searching around you, for those that might have known you for many years that are dry, or for those that are chasing after you, would you meet with us again here this place this morning? We want to encounter Jesus, we pray this in his name. Amen. I want to talk about the body. What do we do with our bodies? Is God interested in our bodies? And in particular, there's two parts of our bodies that I'd like us to unpack this morning. Our hands and our mouths. Why? Because it strikes me that if two parts of our bodies are going to get us into trouble, it's these two, is it not? Our hands and our mouths. I could talk about our minds and our sexual organs, but we're not going to go there today, okay? So, but we're going to just stick with our hands and our mouths. They're usually the two things that get us into a lot of trouble, are they not? So what I'd like you to do this morning is think through your week about your hands and your mouth and do a quick audit on your week. How did you go with your hands and your mouth this week if you would do an audit right now? Would it be a fair result or not? Take your hands for a moment. Amazing piece of machinery. Just have a look at them. You just, just have a look at your hands right now. Flip them over. Just have a look. These are incredible little pieces of machinery. I mean, with these hands of yours, you can play the piano. With these hands of yours, you can bake cakes. With these hands of yours, you can work on the computer. You can write letters with these hands, you can wash cars, you can drive cars and be a taxi service for any and sundry in your family um, to all different kinds of places. With these hands, you can create and make things. They're incredible, aren't they? Look at them. They're your hands. But also with these same hands, instead of doing this in people's lives, you can do this so easily. Have you noticed that? With these hands, you can gesture. You clench your fist, 
with these hands, you can do all kinds of things that would be destructive rather than building up. Would you agree? Look at your hands. They're amazing. Okay, our mouths. And when I'm talking about my, our mouths, I'm talking about our mouth, our tongue, all that. So why don't you take your hands for a moment and just touch your lips. Go ahead. Just, I'd say touch your tongue, but then I might ask you to shake the hands of the person next to you. That'd be gross. So just touch, touch your, your lips for a minute. I mean, they're warm, aren't they? That's your lips and they're soft and, and they're amazing. I mean, you can eat things to sustain you. Um, you can make melody and sing. Yeah. You can use words to affirm other people and encourage them. Can't you not? With, with your mouth, you can soothe. And calm the raging seas. With your mouth, you can lift and and impart wisdom to people. Conversely, with your mouth, you can tear down. I mean, a word or two from you can just cut. And you know the words that have been spoken to you that cut and still cut after all these years, yeah? With our mouths, we can do some incredible, amazing things. But we can also be incredibly destructive too. It's no wonder in the Bible that just in two parts, uh, it's written this about the tongue. It says, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Isn't that true? And then about our hands. And I have no idea why it uses the metaphor of a woman here. So please, this could equally apply to no men in this room. The wise woman builds her house. But with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Isn't that true? Is that we can lift up or we can tear down. So let me ask you the question again. If you were to do an audit on your body this week, on your hands and on your mouth, how would you fare? Got it? Is God interested in our bodies? I think he is. It strikes me that since the Enlightenment time in the West, when human beings began to turn their eyes from the heavens and, and turn them towards the earth, there's been a little mantra that's run through for the last 200 years that goes something like this, all there is is here and now. Our bodies are just bodies. They're molecules. They don't really matter. Matter doesn't really matter because all there is is here and now. We're in a flat materialist world. You may have heard that before. And in fact, what we discover is in people like Hamish and Andy, they discover legends like James who are quite willing to use their mouth, their bodies, to do something that we would call lying, would we not? But because it's done in such a way, we kind of chuckle because it's kind of a mateship legendary, but I think we'd just call that lying. But simultaneously, someone can use their hands like Susan to make biscuits, to impart love. So what is it? Are our bodies of worth and value, or are they just matter? And does matter matter? It strikes me that the last few hundreds, uh, past two centuries, we've been trying to figure out what to do with our bodies. And they fall largely into two categories. One, I call it the trash and the treasure. We can either trash our bodies and determine that they're pleasure-seeking machines and all they need is to be fed with whoever and whatever and however, whenever. It doesn't really matter as long as you feel good and happy. The trash side of dealing with the human body. 
Or the other extreme on the other side is the treasure side. Have you noticed that we treat our bodies like gods and goddesses because they're the only ones we ever have and will have. So we need to treasure them beyond imagination, right? In fact, in the latest Biggest Loser commercial, this is typified just so very clearly. Have a look at this. We're all capable of being better versions of ourselves. But we've all got excuses. Too busy at work. I have lack motivation. Coming in your mum was so overwhelming. I have no time. But it's never too late to change. The Biggest Loser has changed. It's going to be like nothing we've ever done before. This is the show I've always wanted to make. Helping everyday Aussies not just lose weight, but transform. Transform into the fittest, happiest and most confident version of themselves. These transformations will be jaw-dropping. The Biggest Loser, Transformed. Hence the gods and the goddesses. And if you know, if you've seen the commercial right now, the litmus test, or if you become that transformed reality, is that guys will have a six-pack and the girls will wear a bikini. Because after all, they're the two things that matter most in the world, right? Trash or treasure. How do we deal with with our bodies. And what does God say about what's important in our lives? Well, if you have a Bible with you, what I'd like you to do is just turn it to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to just talk through one particular powerful encounter Jesus has with a woman and a man. And this is how it goes in answering the question, is God interested in what we do with our bodies? A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she'd grown worse. You see, the backstory to this story is that Jesus had been performing some powerful miracles. He'd been announcing that God had arrived here on earth and that his power was breaking forth into it and it was pushing back the tide of evil, sin and suffering. And Jesus was, if you like, a walking medical center. He'd crossed over from uh, the, on the Sea of Galilee where he'd liberated a man from evil spirits and he'd arrived back on the other side and the crowd gathered around him as was per normal. And there was a man by the name of Jairus whose daughter was incredibly ill at the point of death. And in desperation, Jairus makes his way, jostles through the crowd and finally makes his way to Jesus. When he finds him, he falls down at his feet. And he begs him, will you come and save my little daughter because she's dying? Well, Jesus, not being the one who hurries all too often, have you noticed that about Jesus? He begins to make his way to Jairus' house. And as the crowd surge around about him, following him to probably see another miraculous encounter, there's a second backstory. There's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't know what the nature of this is. All we hear and know about this woman is that she has had internal bleeding. In that culture, in that day, in that age, that bleeding rendered her defiled, 
unclean before God, unclean to be in her society. And you can imagine the shame she would have felt about having this condition in which she has spent all of her money, gone to physicians that have poked and prodded her, and yet she is still unhealed, out of society, on the margins. Then she hears that there's a great physician by the name of Jesus. And so as he's walking to Jairus' daughter, there is another daughter, this woman, who starts etching her way through the crowd. And in her mind, there's a little whiff, a hint of trusting faith in this man, Jesus. As she etches her way through the crowd, what goes through her mind is this little mantra. If I could just touch the hem of his robe, I believe that power from here would come to me and that I would be healed. And so she quietly, deftly navigates her way through the crowd, carrying all of her backstory with us, with her. You see, Jesus is interested in our backstories. She gets to Jesus, and this is what happens. She said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed immediately as she worked her way through the crowd and did this. It says that her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering instantaneously. And then this is what happens. At once, when she touched Jesus' robe, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he paused on the way to going to another daughter, Jairus's. And he turns around and asks the crowd, who touched my clothes? Now, if you were this woman, would you want to own up to what's just happened? But Jesus, knowing that it's almost as though he's attracted to just a hint, a whiff of faith, just a little. And he knows that power has gone out of him as a result of that faith. So he pauses for a moment and he just wants to find out who. Well, his disciples, they say to him, Jesus, are you crazy? There are so many people jostling right now. We are going to Jairus to save his daughter and everyone is bumping into you. So how can you possibly ask and even know that someone has touched you? We're all bumping into. But Jesus pauses and he goes, no, no. There was a hint of faith. And power came out from me. So knowing that she'd been, if you like, cornered, This is what happens. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, publicly in front of everyone. I don't think Jesus is trying to shame her here. I think there's something far deeper and more profound that he's wanting to do to this daughter. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace And be freed from your suffering. Daughter, what a profoundly tender, kind word to be spoken from someone's lips in a place of daughter of Israel, daughter of God, daughter, your faith. It's not as though her faith did the healing and she would know that. It's just that her reaching out in faith to Jesus was the, if you like, the bridge between the two. And power came forth from him and healed her body, restored. Incredible. Just the utterance, if you like, the small hint, courageously reaching out 
And Jesus pauses at this moment, and it's almost as though he's wanting to say to her in this space, in this moment, God hears even you. A bleeding woman for 12 years who spent everything that might be at the lowest of low and feeling so ashamed of who you are. But I want you to know, daughter, that the living God, the maker of heaven and earth, hears your voice, your faith, your trust in me. And so he utters these second words to her. Therefore, go in peace. Peace with yourself. Peace with God. Peace. Powerful thing about this story, it's just that it's an event that happened that speaks deeply into this question about what do we do with our bodies. The first thing that strikes me about this is that Jesus is desperately interested in our backstories, whatever they may be. And the second thing that strikes me is that he is desperately interested in our bodies. You see, God loves us as wholes, not just as souls. He speaks to the woman's physical body in healing and restores and quietly, gently speaks to her soul in peace. Let me illustrate this for a moment, Keith. Could you please come up here? You have no idea what you're about to do, but could you just stand up on the platform here? I can't impress this upon us enough. Could you just put your hands out wide like you're doing a star jump? See, it strikes me (laughs) that God loves us as wholes, not just as disembodied souls. He doesn't split us. Look at this fine specimen of a whole. See, we are in the practice of thinking of ourselves just spirit, body separate. Jesus doesn't think like that. He loves us as a whole, not just as a soul. If he didn't, he wouldn't have bothered rising from the dead in human flesh. You see, God thinks that these molecules are of infinite worth but also in need of repair. Thank you, Keith. Brilliant star jump. That's great. (laughs) See, the reason that's so powerful is that we're in a world that wants to trash or treasure, and Jesus says, no, 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 your body is of infinite worth. In fact, all of you is to me. That's why he came. But the problem being, though, is, is that this body of ours is also infected by a darkness, a disease, A sickness, if you like. He said, it's what comes out of this body that makes us unclean before God. This is what he says. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It seems as though God believes that our bodies are of infinite worth, but in need of great repair. You see, our hands and our mouths matter because what's going on inside determines the course of how we use these things and this thing, does it not? And yet God is interested in them all. I wonder if you're here this morning and the first thing you hear about Jesus is that if he's interested in my backstory, then maybe he'll be interested in me. See, there are some people that hear the words of Jesus and his offer of love and he's welcome into his family. 
And the first thing that strikes them is that, yeah, but I feel guilty about what I have done with these and with this. Jesus' words to you are just the same. Welcome, son. Welcome, daughter. Place your faith in me. I'm in the business of pouring my life and my spirit into you so that you will use your hands and your mouth, in fact, all of your body now, to do my bidding. I don't have to force you to do it. It's because when I mess with your heart in a good way, you will want to do it. In the same way, someone might be here this morning and like this woman who has been shamed through no fault of her own, might come to Jesus and hear in him, it's actually the person who welcomes stuff that has been done to me. I feel ashamed by that. I don't want to tell anyone. Is God interested in me? Yes, because he loves you as a whole. And if you come to him, I believe his words to you would be, you don't need to be ashamed. I want to make you whole. Because he loves us as wholes, not just as souls. You see, a Jesus follower, it even gets a little bit politically incorrect at this stage. Because Paul goes on and writes these words. He says, don't you know that when you come to Jesus and you actually place your trust in him, your bodies are temples of God's spirit that dwells in you, whom you've received from God the moment you place your trust in Jesus and cross a line with him who is in you, whom you have received from him. You are not your own. You are bought at a great price, the death of my son on a cross. Therefore glorify God with and in your bodies. You see, our bodies matter to God. And the politically incorrect statement today that is sometimes hard for us and our culture to swallow is that when you come to know Jesus, he doesn't own you in a bad way. It just means he gave his life for you. In a full way, so that the whisper on the mouth of a Jesus follower, when they wake up in the morning time, goes something like this Jesus, you gave your body for me. Now I give my body back to you to do your bidding. Don't hear me wrong this morning. The things like those that the, the treating our bodies like temples or trashing them. I'm into healthy living and good exercise and practice. But the thing that Jesus is far more into is healing our bodies, washing our souls, so that our bodies might become enlivened to do his bidding. So, in January I had four weeks off. And it was raining one day, and I was out in the garden just doing the gardening. And it had been raining for a couple of days. And the council has built this this one kilometer really thick track, sort of cemented, reinforced track down our road. And they'd sort of packed it up with soil on the side so you didn't trip up on the edge. Well... These guys didn't know, but they'd been having a PD up on in the Dandenongs. They were from Thornbury, and they were coming down, and they, I guess they pulled in for a coffee. And on the left-hand side where our road is, there was this big patch of soil, but they didn't know it. It was sodden. And so they pulled their shiny VW station wagon into that little space, and it just got completely and utterly bogged. Like they spun the wheels backwards, forwards, and there was no way. Another car came around and parked on the other side. And so I'm here watching as it's unfolding in front of me, and I thought to myself, there is no 
way. It's like this thick, this deep. So the first thing I did is I went over and I, I grabbed two planks of timber and I dragged them across the road and I dropped them and I said, you guys are going to need this to put it under the wheels to get some traction. Without saying another word, I went back to the garage and I picked out two shovels because they're going to need to be dug out. As I walked back, I, and it was still drizzling with rain, I was crossing the road and all the guys had got out of the car now and they're just watching. You know how they do this? Guys just watch their mates. Mm, man, that's bogged. Whew. Man. That is so bogged. Whew. Don't know how you're going to get out of that one. And called taxis and the other car was there. They were out. And I said, guys, if you want your mate to get out, shoes and socks off, roll up your jeans. We're going to have to actually get in there, right? And they're like, oh, okay. So they, they do that. They obeyed me. <laughs> and they did that. I said, okay, look, you know, I'm just thinking I'll help you out too because, you know, it's kind of my patch and everything like that. So we get in there and we, we put the, the, the sleepers underneath there and they're going backwards. It's not working. You guys are going to have to go forward there. And so... I'm leaning on the bonnet of the car. There's another guy leaning on the bonnet of the car. And then people are shoveling it out like this. And, and they're going back and forth until eventually mud everywhere, they just get out. And then at that moment, I just said to them, hey, guys, um, how about you come up to my driveway here? I'll just turn the tap on and we can just kind of hose you down because man, there's mud everywhere. All right. So I walk over and I turn the tap on and I come down literally at the end of my driveway here. And they're standing there. And I started just soaking them, right, with the water. And they're standing there. Well, the mud's not coming off, guys. So I kneel down at this point, and I start washing the mud off their legs, like this. And between their toes... And then... And then I said, next? And they moved along, and I... Right? This happened second time, third time I said next, and I'm washing this guy's legs, and he he voices the thing that we're all thinking. He's like, Man, this is weird. <laughs> he says this. This is weird. And I'm like, Yeah, look, why don't we just take it as some Middle Eastern foot washing ceremony, okay? I said that. And they're like, Oh, okay. All right, next. And then after that, I said, drive your car up here. Drive your car up. And he goes, no, 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 it's okay. I'll go, I don't drive it up there. As soon as that mud sticks, it ain't coming off. And I'm washing the car down, washing the car down. They said to me at the end of all this, they said, what is your name? I said, my name's Troy. They said, thanks, mate. Really appreciate that. And they drive off to Thornbury. Yeah. A week later, my son Jacob calls me up and he goes, Dad, did you order something from Dan Murphy's? I said, what do you mean? I'm not in the habit of ordering things. He goes, no, there's a slab of crownies that's turned up. <laughs> he said, but it's got your name on it, but it's actually, the, the surname's wrong. 116 Heathmont Road, it says Troy Legend. <laughs> See, you think I make these things up. Have a look. <laughs> Troy Legend. What else are a bunch of Aussie guys going to give another guy who they reckon is a legend like James, right? <laughs> now, I, I would have just been happy with, with a, um, I don't know, a six-pack of water or something, all right? You could just get me a slab of water. would be fine. But this turns up on, and I'm thinking, it did, the penny took a few days to drop. My name's not Troy Arnott. My name now is Troy Legend. LAUGHTER 
I called up Dan Murphy's because the penny didn't drop and I said, look, there's a mistake here because it's Troy Legend and I'm Troy Arnott. The guy gives me this guy's telephone details, where he lives, his email address. I put it in my phone. It's not, not my phone, not a friend of mine. And then the penny dropped, Troy Legend. See, see this, is what Jesus, this is what Jesus says about our bodies. He says these profound words. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world in the way in which you use your body, your hands, your mouth, all of your body. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deals, deeds and say, gosh, Your God, your Father, must be a legend who dwells in heaven. My friends, is Jesus interested in our bodies? Absolutely. Totally. He loves us as wholes, not just as souls, and wants us to use our bodies to do his bidding. Band's going to come up right now. Cash is going to sing a song. And I just want us to pause for a moment because I wonder if Jesus might be talking to you this morning about how you've used your hands and your mouth, maybe your body. What are you going to do with it in 2017? Are people going to look at you and say, legend, and buy you a slab? Or the opposite? This song that Cash is going to sing was actually written in about 1830s. 36-year-old lady. Her name was Frances Havergal. She's a great singer. She was a Jesus follower, but she sensed there was something missing in her following of Jesus. Someone gave her a little booklet called All for Jesus. And she read it. And she was profoundly impacted by God's spirit. She said it was like a bolt of light. And I found myself offering up all of my body to him, my voice. So she wrote the words to this song. It uses an old-fashioned word. It says consecrated. I think you know what it means. It says, all of who I am is all for you. Use it to do your bidding. Lovely. So as Cash sings, I want to ask you, is Jesus the king of every area of your life or just the ones you think are convenient? Who is your boss? Who's the boss of your body? Courageously, if you want to be a Jesus follower, you dare to say something politically incorrect. He is boss of my body. And what's he asking you to do with it this year? So as you hear these words, you might want to close your eyes. You might want to listen. But I'd invite you to meet with your maker and ask him, what do you want me to do with my body? 
And if you found this week that you failed the audit, the simple rule of thumb is go back, repent, say you're sorry, make it right. So his life can flow through your hands and mouth and body afresh.